1: Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 183 of the Peristyle podcast. Today is August 22nd, 2011, and we got a great show for you this week on the Peristyle podcast. If you don't know the Peristyle podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans and there's lots to talk about. USC just wrapped up fall camp with a scrimmage at the Coliseum yesterday. We got Dan Weber coming on later. He's going to break down everything that happened in that final full contact scrimmage for the USC Trojans. We do have a lot of questions this week. A lot of questions surrounding what's been going on with Miami and former Committee on Infractions chair Paul D., the former AD over at Miami, and the problems they've had. We've got a lot of questions on that. We're going to get to all of that with Coach Harvey Hyde and Dan Weber. If you have any questions or comments you want for the next show, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or give us a call, 206 888-6755, that's 206-888-6755. Please try to keep your questions brief so we don't have to play them for two or three minutes on the podcast. And we are joined in the first segment, as always, from Catalina Island, this time, Coach Harvey Hyde. What's going on, Coach? How are you doing?
2: Well, buddy, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm having a great time here, but I'm leaving. So uh, I was here for a short period of time. I came over for the weekend. I'm going back and uh, i'm getting uh i got to go to vegas this week do some work up there and go up to some practices there at my former uh place where i coached uh they're gonna have a little party that i got to be at and then back to southern california and then get ready for the opening game against the university of minnesota plan on being at the coliseum next saturday to watch the final tune-up for the trojans as they get ready for their old season opener and i'll tell you it's a Okay, couldn't be any better. This weekend I watched high school football. I don't know how many people had a chance to watch Bishop Gorman and Chaparral High School play on Saturday night. What a great uh, game that was. Watching preseason NFL football, trying to get a feel on that. And, of course, trying to get a feel on college football, because it's all going to get started here.
1: Really soon, Coach. It's going to get started really soon. Before we jump into all of that, I wanted to... Thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. If you need tickets for any of the upcoming USC home or away games, you can give them a call, 1-800-888-7287, or go to sctickets.com. Help them out. They've been helping us out over the years. Thanks thanks for them for being a sponsor of the show. And, Coach, you don't need a ticket. You get up there in the press box and stuff. you got to be looking forward to college football coming soon.
2: I do. There's the fire alarm going off. That means that's my biggest phone line, so I'll turn <laughs> it off. They might need a tip on something that I I can't give it to them right now, but I'll call them back a little bit later on. How's that, guys?
1: <laughs> so you good. know
2: it's a live show, right?
1: It is a live show. Well, it's we'll a live, live
2: show when Coach doesn't turn off his fire alarm.
1: <laughs> but Coach, you got to be looking forward to this football season. I, mean, I just can't wait. Just talking football, seeing the, the scrimmage out there yesterday, just – get really excited for football just around the corner
0: it
2: is around the corner and i'll tell you i'm excited about college football there's nothing better than the student body coming back to school the faculty man classes getting ready to start the football team finishing uh camp everybody getting ready for a pep rally the song girls getting uh ready and practicing to ban out on the field practicing And, of course, the Golden Gophers from the Big Ten coming into the Coliseum on Labor Day weekend, and along along with all the other great games that will be played. My alma mater, or not my alma mater, but where I coached at, UNLV will be opening their season play against the University of Wisconsin. I've been back there. I took a team back there and played at Camp Randall. It's a great place to play. That'll be a Thursday night game. So if you want to get ready for college football, start with that. And then on Saturday, the Trojans tailgating starts whenever you get there. I like to get there early and enjoy the uh, pre-show tailgating and then some post-game show tailgating after I do my portion of the pre-game show and then great college football. So I'm ready. College football is about here. Most of the hitting is done in camp. Now what you do is get the legs back of the players. You start to tune it up. You make your depth chart. You decide who the starters are. You get your uh, special teams tuned up. You start working on substitutions and two-minute drills and all the special things so that they work together by just making a call. Sub- substitution still is number the one, number one thing. You want the right players ready to go into the game and no delay of games and also, you know, no excessive timeouts and getting ready and explaining the rules and regulations again, having a referee come in and talk to the team regarding the celebration rule. But you'd hate to lose a game on this new rule which has been put in so, you know, this is what you do. You fine-tune the car. It's like you bought a new car, and they're going to detail it before you pick it up. And this is what it's all about this week.
1: I oh, got me excited, Coach. I love it. Uh, well, this past week, uh, we want to jump on this one first, and we'll get to some other football topics. Uh, Miami, the the Yahoo Sports broke this story, really extensive story about all the things that have been going on in the University of Miami program where Paul D. was the athletic director uh, up until 2008. And was of course he was of course the chairman of the committee on infractions that spoke very sanctimoniously when he was talking about USC that USC should have known and and pretty much made up the thirty scholarships out of thin air saying that that's how many recruits that Reggie Bush would have brought to the program just really was kind of flippant in his remarks and like I said very sanctimonious when he was talking about USC and then it looks like. What was going on during his watch in Miami was a lot worse. So we have a lot of questions on this. Here's the first one, the voicemail question. We'll play this one, Coach, and get your reaction.
3: Yeah, hi. My name is Doug from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I've been a uh, Trojan fan since I can remember. Uh, I would say at least since 1966. Anyways, um, I just got one question that's for anybody. Um, How about Paul Bees? wasn't he one that it was like go after USC for blood and all this kind of good stuff uh, when we were uh, catching up with all those um, possibility of the bands and stuff well all these I guess what goes around comes around and uh, it's just the lid is just being lifted off this can of worms so all I gotta do is say fight on and go USC thanks Ryan you got a great podcast
2: well, thank you very much. We appreciate you calling from uh, in Florida, down in Florida. We're glad we have listeners down there. First of all, I'm for putting together the committee to uh, do the investigation on all these allegations and have it chaired by Mike Garrett. <laughs> I, I think I think Mike Garrett should chair that. What do you think of that,
1: Ryan? I think that would be a great idea, although he's, he's not I, the, the best person. Maybe you have to go with uh, Pat Hayden. I think he has a little more anger under him right now.
2: Well, you know, either maybe they ought to both be on the committee. Yeah. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. First of all, you shouldn't throw rocks when you live in glass houses, and that's one thing Paul did. Paul is sort of an arrogant guy, okay? And, uh, you know, he can do no wrong, and he came in to lecture USC and point his finger on, you should have more institutional control, and you should you should uh, know who your who your highlighted players are, and you should have more of a watch on who they run around with and so on. Well, you know, that this is one incident, the Reggie Bush situation, and that individual did wasn't even related with the athletic department. Uh, they were down in San Diego, It had to do with what his father or parents were doing regarding a home, so that's pretty hard to keep track of entirely, and no one really admitted or never did admit they'd had anything to do or even knew who the guys were that was going on, but to have something on campus, here's a guy that's leading the team on the field. Here's a guy that's on the sideline, running off and on the side, off this field. Here's a guy that's at... Uh, pictures taken with the president of the college and handing her a $50,000 check. Here's a guy that did a lot of investing for a lot of people in the Miami area and to say no one knew who he was or we didn't know what was going on. Hey, South Beach is about the size of USC's campus, okay? So all the thing that's going on down there, you ought to know what's going on, especially when you're a big-time player and you know uh, everyone in the community and so on and these things are going on and the AD says, he's SC should know more what's going on. I mean, these guys really, I didn't like the committee to start with. I didn't think they had a chance, but it was almost like ax grinding. If you want to use that term, Uh, they, they, they had great programs there then. And, uh, but, but, you know, you can't say everyone's doing what they did because you have a great football program, but to come back on SC as they did, they really, it looks like, SC had a jaywalking ticket. When you look at some of these other programs and what's going on or went on or whatever they're saying did, I mean, SC's Reggie Bush thing was a jaywalking ticket that they sent him to death row. Sent SC to death row. I mean, they did everything they could to shut this program down. Or they Yes, they wanted to keep them on the schedule. Why? They're a big-name school. Also, they're bringing great TV revenue. You notice they didn't take away that they couldn't play on TV. That's the only thing they didn't take away. They let their players transfer. They let, you know, all the other things. They cut the scholarship limitations down. Boosters can't go to practice. And I'm not sure if that's SC or the NCAA. They can't ride on the plane. They can't have any contact. Ex-players can't come back and go to practice. I mean, what more can you do to a university for something like what they had as far as some tennis player making calls on a credit card? How would you ever know that's happening as a coach? That's something that could happen to anybody. Normally, when you have those type of charges on your credit card, you call and they cancel them out. Because somebody used your card that wasn't supposed to. So in the uh, Mayo deal, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure they ever proved anything there, but there was a lot of assumptions, and they went by that. They couldn't prove really anything. They just went ahead. And what more could you do to penalize? Carol left, uh, the, the coach uh, was fired in basketball, or he left or was fired. I don't know one or the other. Mike Garrett was let go. I mean, what more could USC do to justify whatever those things that happened? Gene Smith's still at Ohio State. Luckily, Paul D's still not at Miami. But what's going to happen to the college president of Miami and all these other people? The Boise State athletic director gets fired because of something that's happening there because Peterson's too valuable as a football coach. So everyone, you know, has a sacrificial lamb, and and uh, you know, there's a lot of problems with the NCAA. And I want you to know, I really feel that Miami's going to get the death penalty. I think major players in the BCS games and commissioners all know that. I think about three weeks ago they had a emergency meeting back at Indianapolis with all of these commissioners and ADs and so on. I'm not sure who was there, or who wasn't there. I don't want to say. I think I have a feeling. I think they let everybody know this was coming down in advance so that they could prepare for it. And I think they know that, you know, what the situation was with Paul Deese and his situation and how the NCAA looks really bad at this as far as their committee members uh, having everything come back to them after what happened at USC. So I really think there's going to be a lot of changes done. Uh, with the NCAA, and i think i think miami's going to get the death penalty i really not this year why they have to finish this schedule out it's not fair to the other teams they're playing the other teams they're playing because of uh, the schedule and so on the loss of revenue if they can't get a game at this time but next year they have time to do that how about the lsu situation let's dwell on that for a minute how can how can those guys be out on the town Get in trouble. Well, I tell you what's going to happen at LSU. I'm just going to throw this in. They're not going to complete their investigation on this on this situation until after the Oregon game. And after the Oregon game, they're going to come back and they're going to decide. They're going to decide. They're going to suspend suspend Jefferson and those players for the Louisiana Monroe game and uh, whoever else they might play the next two games. So you know it's big money. You think those players aren't going to play against Oregon? In Arlington, Texas, when they paid all those television rights to play, it's the same thing as why the Ohio State players played in the what was it, Sugar Bowl last year and then they suspended them for this year. you got to play. It's revenue. It's generating money. So, uh, you know, I'm starting to get a little fired up over this. because It really bit. does tick me off. It really ticks me off that that organization can do what they do and allow somebody to sit on a committee give that type of punishment, and when the appeal came in, not even change appeal, even if every university president knew that that was too stiff a penalty, but they just sat back and allowed it to happen. So, you know, and punish kids here at USC now that didn't have a damn thing to do with it.
1: I agree, Coach, and uh, we, I know you get fired up. We, Everyone gets fired up, and I, I feel bad for the USC fans that don't want to hear this, but really, I can't tell you how many questions we got this week about this topic. Bryce sent in one. He's like, hello, Ryan, love the podcast. This question is for Coach Hyde. I know we've beaten this topic to death, but in light of the University of Miami scandal, do you think USC could revisit the case with the NCAA? Also, do you think the scandal has anything to do with some commits that SC lost to Miami, such as Von Telemach or Chantrell Henderson?
2: No, I don't know if it has anything to do with that. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, if, if I was SC, I'd sit tight and see just what's going to happen. I know Pat Hayden made was on an interview on ESPN and and said that they weren't going to do anything. They've made their appeal and so on and sit back and look and see what happens. But I'll tell you, you know, it's hard to get punched in the mouth and not be able to punch back. How do you justify that to your kids? Uh, You know, you can't help but think, you know, uh, they're going to just beat up on me forever and I'm not going to tell my son, hit him back. The next time that punk hits you, you hit him right back. Even if you get your butt kicked, hit him back. I think that you can sit and absorb the blows for only so long, and then people expect you to come up and say something like, hey, you know what, we're waiting to see what happens with this. And if there isn't something that uh, justifies what gave us our penalties and they don't give stiffer penalties to these other universities that are out there, then we're going to do something about it. What are we going to do? I don't know. Maybe we'll sue them. I don't know what we're going to do. I know they got a great law school at USA. Maybe we want some money of the, of the money that we've lost because of this. Bowl revenues and so on, maybe we want to be reimbursed. But I wouldn't just sit back and watch it. I'd sit and take it because it's really not right. And sometimes playing it politically correct doesn't work for the normal football fan. You know, uh, you like to compete. and I'm one of these guys that like to compete and stick up for the players that play for you and the students that go to the games and the fans and the parents and so on. That, hey, you know, what was done was wrong, and uh, I just haven't heard anybody say that. Really say it. I mean, really come out and say, you know what? That was that was terrible. What they did.
1: Uh, all right, coach. Well, let's we'll let the Miami thing go for a little bit. We're going to talk. I will some... do that before I blow a gasket. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit of football, if that's okay. Um, Ed had a question, and I, I was this was kind of a question I had too. I want to maybe get your thoughts on this. Uh, I know you haven't been. I've been out there a little bit more, but um, just kind of get your thoughts in general, because I know you've seen these players play. Um, Ed thinks that the staff should realize soon that they should be starting Drew McAllister at the safety spot, opposite of T.J. McDonald. McAllister actually had a really nice interception yesterday at the scrimmage. By the way, he says are Juwanza Starling and Demetrius Wright really that much better? And uh, Marshall Jones has been playing in there as well. Are they separating themselves from him? I doubt it. He is an interception machine as well as a big hitter. I'm concerned with his health, but putting that aside, I am not sure any safety in the last four or five years is better than him. Just, a, just my thought, but he needs to get in there and play. What do you think about a guy like that that, that really is a ball hawk and he's able to, to make interceptions? and he, could, he did one the last two scrimmages. He picked off passes that were really nice plays. What do you think about Jer McAllister?
2: Well, you know, I've told you, I think I said it last week, I thought he was a great player. I think I said last week that if there's a better group of defensive backs in the country on one team, I want to find out who it is. Please, please let me visit your campus. Fly me down so I can look at them. And I think that McAllister is a ball hawk. I don't think you can just always have hitting safeties. I mean, I I think it's important to tackle tackle and everything, but I think it's also safety's responsibility to get to the football and, and get to the deep thirds or the deep outsides on cover twos and and all the different things coverages that you have and and pick off passes uh, i think in, and he's got this knack you don't teach that a guy has a feel how to jump on a ball a guy has a feel how to know and watch the quarterback's eye or watch films and so on and how to know to the inter- go to the interception area not be behind or be for the receiver but right where the ball's going to be and drew has that Knack. Basketball players had that knack. Great basketball players can be great safeties, too. So I think you've got to be able to hit, but I think you also got to be able to cover because SC hasn't gotten the number of interceptions that they should be getting out of the secondary. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not putting down any player in the secondary. I just said they're all great players. I'm not putting down Demetrius Wright. I'm not putting down any of those guys. They're all great players. But McAllister does have a feel for interceptions. And it's not by accident. It doesn't just happen. It's because the guy has a feel for the ball. And I do think he should play more. And and I think that who do you sit down? I don't know. But I think he's got a great feel. And I think he's got a safety mentality. And I think when you watch him play, he is a true safety.
1: Uh, All right. Good stuff there. Yeah, I think he should get in there. I I was a little surprised when I saw him kind of as the fifth man of the safety. it's like, man, this guy just picks passes off. But Lane Kiffin did come out and say that, The most important thing to him right now is tackling. So we'll see, but he keeps making interceptions. I don't think there's going to be a way you can keep him off the field, you know, coach?
2: No, I agree with you. And then, you know, I'm not saying he can't tackle. I mean, he can tackle, but I think you've got to have a guy that roams around back there too, that gives your defensive backs a lot of help and they can depend on as far as a a, a safety, uh, giving them double coverage or helping them and go for the football and, and do certain things back there. But, uh, uh, I think he can tackle. I think all the secondary guys can tackle. I mean, they're athletes. They're four- and five-star guys. They can play. So, and, and I think they've had more hitting than any camp that I know of on the West Coast or maybe nationally. So their timing is there. There's no excuses and so on. So uh, they should be prepared to tackle and play and go to the football. Yet you've got to have a guy back there at the safety position that can steal passes and get turnovers, and Drew can do that.
1: All right. Uh, Well, the next question has to do with uh, scholarship numbers, Coach. And right now, I'll just give everyone a quick update. Our scholarship distribution chart, I need to change it actually a little bit, but right now I have it listed as 81 scholarships uh, for this team. That does include Javarius Allen, Buck Allen, the running back from Florida that we have not seen yet. So uh, it doesn't look like he's coming. Uh, Lane Kiffin hasn't given an update lately, so... I'll put that down. If if that's true, we'll knock it down to eighty. But this a uh, couple days ago, Lane Kiffin announced that uh, the sophomore linebacker Will Andrew, who's been playing well at middle linebacker, another ball hawk kind of guy. I talked to Joe Barry, the linebacker coach, the other day. He's like he just makes plays, you know. So they gave him a scholarship. He was a walk on, and also Robbie Boyer, who played with uh, Matt Barkley in high school as a wide receiver at Modern Day. He's a junior. And they give him a scholarship as well. And Lane Kiffin talked about it yesterday after scrimmage, how electric the room gets when you announce something like that because those guys work so hard. It's just something nice that he could do to offer those guys a scholarship. And just so people know, scholarships are a one-year renewable thing. It doesn't mean that Will Andrew or Robbie Boyer is going to be on scholarship for the next couple of years, depending on how long they're they're around USC. They could be, but they could just be for a one-year sort of thing as well. Uh, with especially with the sanctions kicking in next year, um, but that would bring the count up to 82. And currently, U, USC has uh, 13 seniors on the roster. Um, so those 13 come off of the 82. Um, you're down to you know 69 guys. That leaves only six under the uh, the 75 mandated scholarship limit. But Mark had a question. Um, you know he was concerned about this. He said, "I'm trying to understand." About USC and a recruiting class of eighteen to twenty athletes from uh, coming in from next year um, per USCfootball.com. There's eighty-two athletes under scholarship. Thirteen are seniors. Um, after graduation, that's sixty-nine. I assume three juniors leave, and maybe two athletes don't qualify or transfer out between that. That would only leave uh, you know sixty-two or 63, 64 scholarships against the limit of seventy-five. How do you get from eighteen to to Twenty, and uh, coach, we've talked about this kind of before, there, there could be some harsh decisions being made by this coaching staff and and you know maybe some players leave the program that you don't really expect.
2: Yeah, it is. It's a very d- difficult situation. You said it every scholarship is renewable yearly, and uh, and you still have to bring in quality players and think about the future and get through the next three years. It's a very difficult thing to do, and I want to congratulate those players that did get scholarships because they've worked very hard. And they certainly do deserve that. And I think it's great for morale of the team and for those kids who've been out there in camp get, catching balls. And, and um, I congratulate their parents and and the kids for, for how hard your kids work and how uh, you've paid a price to pay their tuition and so on at USC. What's going to happen in that situation? That's a difficult, difficult question for me because I really don't know. I know that the coaching staff has probably sat down and, and, and talked about Uh, tweeners on their scholarship situation right now, players that maybe will never play at USC that are on scholarships that were not the kids' fault, maybe coaches' faults where they made evaluation of players and so on, and they might have to you know, let those kids go off scholarship if they're going to maintain bringing in 13 players, 14 players, or 15 players. There's no space for them. So um, I really don't know what's going to happen. I know they have to stay within their number of limitations. Of course, you're always going to have someone transfer or drop out or not play. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. You know, I can't answer that question, right? So I'm not even going to attempt to because it's a difficult situation, and it, it means that uh, you either don't bring in kids, you don't bring in kids, but you have to, as far as continuing the, the depth of your program, or you have to let kids go. So it's going to be maybe a combination of both but it's something that's a very difficult thing to decide. And I think that uh, the staff at USC will have to make that decision. And I cannot answer that question. I have no idea.
1: You know, Lane Kiffin does have a plan and there's a very complete and thorough scholarship plan. And I think there, he has to have options um, for whatever he's going to do. I, I think a lot of the fans on our message boards are talking about, Oh, maybe you only bring in 12 or 13. No, I mean, Everything that we've heard, Coach, is they're bringing in full classes, early guys. They want to bring people in. And not only leaves one option, I mean, there's going to be some guys that are, that are left behind. And I, I think giving a, a scholarship to like a Will Andrew or a Robbie Boyer, there's going to be a bunch of juniors that leave early. So there, there's, that's going to happen. Um, you know, some guys aren't going to make it in. We see Javarius Allen doesn't look good for him. Uh, Steve Dillon, we already saw him drop off uh, earlier on. So those guys are gone. So there's, you know, there's a couple extra scholarships there. But for the for the walk-ons, I think it at least gives them an option. It gives them a full year, USCS scholarships this year, full year under scholarship, which is great for them. And I think okay. Lane yeah, Kiffin probably ahead. says something along the lines of, hey, if we have them next year to give out, you can keep them. If not, I mean, you weren't on scholarship before. It's just kind of works out that way. I mean, it, it probably at least gives him some options of you'll have it this year. We'd love to give it to you next year if we can, but if we can't fit it in, then it won't happen.
2: I agree. Maybe you should answer that question, but you answered <laughs> better than I did. You, but it really does make sense. Maybe these kids, when they were given the scholarship, were told it's only for one year or one semester. We don't know. And uh, I would, you know, obviously accept it under those, uh, you know, terms. So uh, that's possibly something that will happen. And there are some juniors that are going to come out. We know that. And go to the NFL. I can tell you who they are now, I think, but I don't want to do that. But uh, Or I would assume that could happen. So there will be available scholarships. But there's a plan. There's a plan, and they've been working on it and so on, and they got to get through it. And uh, I don't know what it's going to be, but I think you sort of summarized it very well.
1: Well, you know, Dan Weber harps on this. We're going to talk to him in the next segment. And, and part of the reason, Coach, it's hard to answer for everybody is – No school has ever had to go with 75 scholarships for a year, let alone three. This has never happened before. So how do you handle it? I mean, Lane Kiffin's been giving a problem that no NCAA college coach has ever had to deal with before, which means the fans have never seen it before, and everyone's got a lot of questions. And it's it's tough to answer them, but we saw what Lane Kiffin did this last year. He knew what he wanted to do. I'm going to bring in a big class, get the numbers up. That's what he wanted to do. He knew that the, their numbers were so, so far down. He brought in as many early enrollees as he could. The guys that, that didn't come in the 2010 class because of the sanctions, he brought a lot of guys in, and now we're seeing a lot of them playing on the field right now. Ton of freshmen on this team. It's a youth movement, but he just needed more bodies in there. That was his plan. It worked out pretty well. I mean, it, it, a lot of these newcomers, we do a newcomer notebook almost after every practice uh, you know, through camp. And there's so many guys contributing that weren't around last year, and not even including the redshirt freshmen that didn't play. A lot of those guys are, are participating as well. So he had a plan for that. He has a long term plan for this. It's going to be tough, of course, but I mean, Lane Kiffin seems suited to handling something like this, a problem, like I mentioned, no one's ever dealt with before.
2: I agree with that 100%. And I'll tell you, one thing you have to do is you can't waste a year of eligibility on a great player. You can't do it. You've got to get your number ones, you've got to play them in there, and you've got to redshirt the rest of them. You just have to do that. I know kids want to play, and I know you want to play a lot of kids, but kids get an extra year of education, they mature more, they get bigger, stronger, faster, they learn to season, and so on. Yes, if someone gets hurt, then someone might be forced out of redshirting, but I think you've got to redshirt players for the future. You've got to redshirt a lot of players in the future. You've got to build up your bank, you've got to get these experienced players to get you through this period of time, and you've got to play lean, which means a lot of players won't play. But I think that the future is very bright. I think this year they should have an outstanding year, and next year should they, they should have another great year, and then, of course, there'll be two years through that 75, and I agree with you. Uh, and don't get me going again on this scholarship the penalties <laughs> at the NCAA gave. But, you know, like you said, three years of that, on top of all the other things they gave these kids absolutely ridiculous the administration as far as the part of the ncaa should be ashamed of themselves as administrators out there they should be absolutely ashamed of themselves and and i'm not trying to i wish i wish one of those guys kids were going to usc and see how they felt and see if they'd still given the same penalty i really do because it's not right and they know it's not right yet they're not strong enough to come up and confess it and say it and reverse what they did. And I don't call that being very, what do you call it, smart or ethical. Let's put it that way, ethical.
1: Yeah, I don't think ethics have come up quite a bit. I mean, that that topic of being ethical hasn't been used with the NCAA in the last few years for sure. Well, Coach, we went pretty long this segment. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, sorry about firing you up there, but, you know, hopefully – Get that nice, slow boat ride back from Catalina. Everything oh, will calm man. down. You'll be okay.
2: I'm telling you what, I, it's, that just things like that really do disturb me. When a committee can sit back and make these type of decisions, thinking they know what they're doing when they really don't know. The most dangerous person in the world is a person that thinks they know and they really don't know. That's well, my closing statement.
1: I love it. Great stuff. Well, Coach, thanks again, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week.
2: Thanks, buddy, and for all of you out there, have a great uh, week, and thank you very much for calling in with your questions.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks. thanks to you again, Coach, and we'll be back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Weber.
0: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1 800 888 7287. 1 888 7287. That's 1 800 888 7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, Concert, Sports, and Theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. Thanks for Coach Harvey Hyde for coming on in the last segment. And we have uh, Dan Weber, uscfootball.com. Exclusive beat writer, kicking butt down there. USC practices and fall camp just ended, Dan. And the, the scrimmage on Sunday was a fun one to watch. Some of the other ones were defensive battles. This one was a, an air war. <laughs> just bombs out of the air. Lots of touchdown passes. Not as much in the run game, but fun to watch what did you think about the the whole how the scrimmage ended fall camp
3: i think it's what uh what usc needed Uh, i think they uh i think we needed to see robert woods back and all of a sudden you said you were you know sitting there saying wow he's really good you know like he does some things so smoothly and so easily and you just see the level of matt barkley it's like he gets a smile on his face before he throws the ball. If it's Robert Woods, they did some things, uh, some combination routes and timing stuff that was so, uh, so good looking, uh, yesterday. I liked the matchup of the first offense against the second defense. I thought that was, that was a good way to go because I think, you know, this first defense has been so, uh, you know, they're really, uh, got a lot of talent, really gifted. And, uh, I think it's made it hard, you know, for a younger offense to to really get its legs uh, under it. Uh, So I thought uh, uh, Lane did a good job in kind of scripting the scrimmage the way he wanted it to go. And then uh, you got a chance to see uh, the way, uh, say, uh, a Marquise Lee just fits in. Uh, It's just amazing uh, that you could have two receivers from the same high school. Walk into you know USC a year apart, uh, and and one of them, you know, being Marquise Lee, who, you know, in a lot of people's minds, are thinking you know this guy's probably going to have to play safety. Uh, there may not be room for him at uh, at wide receiver, and as it turns out now, there's there's a lot of room for you if you're <laughs> uh, if you can make the plays he's making.
1: Uh, he's been he just, ridiculously uh, <laughs> good. Ridiculously good.
3: He, every day he just looks better. Looks so bigger, he's stronger. I think Lane had the had maybe the best uh, comparison that he looks like kind of like Damian Williams, only bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, and he's a freshman. I mean, you know, Damian Williams, and he's bigger, stronger, faster, which he is. All of this. Uh, uh, it's just that's uh, kind of you know maybe only we were kidding about this only at USC in Southern California, could you be that fortunate to have a kid, you know, nearby walk on maybe the, you know, third most, you know, touted wide receiver in your class, not sure where his position is and having be that good. I mean, there there are some really nice things about being, uh, being USC and being where you are that, uh, that really benefit uh, the program. But I thought they showcased them. I, I thought uh I thought it looked like they wanted to you know, see what the first, especially first defense looked like against the run, and they looked awfully good against the run. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to be very easy to run against. Uh, they look like they will run you down in, in groups, and, uh, and and it looks like uh, the return of a physical defense, uh, a defense that not just only tackles you and tackles you kind of in waves, but kind of punishes you a little bit too, where they really administer uh, uh, you know, some hits, uh, the kind of thing that we haven't seen for a couple of years and uh, surely didn't see last year when they were unable to hit and practice and that. But, uh, uh, so I thought we saw, you know, we saw, uh, you know, a, a kid kick a 48 year yard field goal that just looked like, you know, no big deal. Just, you know, he just hit it. And it just kind of kept going and, you know, no big, uh, you know, excitement or anything, you just, that's what you do, don't you? You just kick those zero goals. Uh, freshman Andre Hadari, and that's uh, the kind of thing you haven't really had. Uh, and I thought, Negretti looks like, you know, he hit a pooch punt that dropped dead on the two from about, you know, four, the 47 or wherever he was. And I, I thought, gosh, that's the kind of thing, just those little touches that we were starting to see uh yesterday that you really need to see. The 2 backup quarterbacks, I thought, both showed, uh, you know, showed something. Uh, Randall Telfer has been doing a lot of good things, and he's had some tough times catching the ball. It, and uh, I thought he caught the ball well. Red Ellison, you know, the, the tight end looks, uh, looks awfully good. Didn't think we had a lot of, you know, difficulty looking. As we watched the uh, offensive line, you didn't notice anything that was out of, like, you know, jumping off sides or holding or or things like that. The things and then obviously, you know, very, uh, very good protection. You know, for Matt, I don't think they did any all-out blitzes or whatever. But uh, but I thought it, you know, looked uh, looked pretty passable. So I, I say, on the whole, uh, once they got started, they a little slow start first couple of series, but after that, they, they sure got rolling and uh, kind of reminded you of the Cal game uh, a little bit. Uh, so, uh, you know. Probably for the last real serious hitting that they're going to do before the Minnesota game, I thought it was uh, about as positive as, as you'd want. Uh, they really needed to show that they could throw the ball down the field, and uh, and I thought they did that.
1: They certainly did. And, uh, you know, Matt Barkley got it started with a couple of great passes to Robert Woods up the right sideline, perfectly thrown balls, and he threw another one, uh, you know, going the other way and it was just it's you know woods ended up with three touchdown passes and i looked at the the rushing stats i didn't really notice it as much watching but you know dylan baxter had 100 yards rushing in the last game and this time it was about you know marquis lee with like 160 yards receiving and and a touchdown and, and woods with three touchdowns and over 100 yards receiving we didn't get to see a lot out of the running game yesterday
3: no, they weren't. I mean, it was uh, first, uh, you know, defense against the second, uh, second offenses, and that, you know, and uh, for whatever reason, Dylan Baxter ended up over there. Uh, you know, he, he had his best week ever in practice a week ago, and now this week he's on the on the third team. He probably looked like he, uh, you know, had the best shot, but he was running against that first defense. Uh, uh, Curtis McNeil. Again, seemed to earn the first spot, but then uh, you know, after two carries, he was uh, hurt and, and kind of banged up that knee again, which is the second straight scrimmage he's done that. That's something I think they've got to figure out. However, you know, I know Lane would rather not go uh, tailback by committee. I'm thinking he may. This may be the the way this group goes. You know, you've got those those guys and you're just going to alternate them and there's not a whole lot of difference uh they each have their things that they can do well but you don't have to change the offense much uh that you know when you're running uh, each of them and so I, I think um, and with the idea that you know somebody could get banged up here or there with DJ Morgan and and uh Dylan and uh you know Curtis and you just maybe you're going to end up going by committee and uh you know so far you know that hasn't it seems to be a big adjustment between one and the other when they come in, that the offense has got to gear down or gear a different direction or whatever. So I'm thinking that, you know, tailback by committee might be the way they go.
1: Yeah, it certainly could be. We'll see. I mean, I, I was on the radio yesterday, and I, they asked me who I thought would start, and I guessed Dylan Baxter, and it was funny to see him. I'm like, well, I guess I was wrong. He's working with the second team. But, um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, I, I, and Lake Kiffin talked about it after the scrimmage. I wasn't really sure – why Baxter was there. Cause like you said, he did have his best week of practice all, you know, all camp.
3: Yeah. We, we, we really didn't get a good explanation there. Uh, and so that probably means it was something, you know, it could have been something as minor as, you know, you got there late for a meeting or what I don't, you know, I totally have no idea. So that doesn't mean I'm just saying it, it could be that kind of thing, uh, uh, that it means something or it doesn't mean something. Uh, and we really don't know. Uh, so, uh, you know, it could be motivational. Could be a, a lot of things. I thought, you know, DJ Morgan came back maybe a day or so sooner than we thought after uh, they were giving him, you know, most of the week off after that he got his MRI, which was negative. But I was talking to him the other day, and I think DJ is one of those kids who actually works too hard. I think, you know, he goes home and does two thousand jump ropes every day, and uh, you know, works on his core strength or a half hour and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he just works, works, works he may have the kind of situation where after practice, maybe there are days where he shouldn't go home and do 2000 jump ropes and that kind of thing. And just really, you know, let that knee get all the way back. You know, I think it's gotten to 90%, but I don't know that he's gotten it all the way back and he looked pretty fresh yesterday. So, uh, but you know, they may not have a running back who's just going to carry the whole thing himself. Uh, And I don't, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm comfortable pretty much with all of them, uh, as far as, as far as that's concerned, Dylan can probably do more things. Amir Carlisle's got some acceleration and some ability just to run the thing up inside for a little guy. Uh, Curtis has got that low base and, you know, he's real strong and can, you know, have three guys holding him and all of a sudden he, you know, just breaks away and goes the other direction. Uh, you just got, you know, everybody, uh, you know, can you know can kind of do something, and uh, and they're all kind of complementary. So, uh, you know, I I don't I don't think we're you know the kind of situation where we're watching, say, four guys who can't get it done. I think what we're watching are guys who, who are are, are gonna maybe not any one of them carry the whole thing themselves.
1: That makes sense, and uh, maybe one of the most interesting things at the scrimmage, just looking over to the the, the far end zone opposite the peristyle where well, the tunnel side is. Uh, Rehab Island was pretty empty when the the, the game started. There's only a couple of guys over there. there were a lot of guys got into play, and it didn't seem like a lot of new injuries were added from the scrimmage.
3: No, I mean, I, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's the encouraging thing. Is you're not looking at, over there and seeing guys that you absolutely feel like You know, you have to have, and and you've read an awful lot of, you know, teams where they've lost guys for the year, and guys that really matter and what have you, and you're not seeing that with with USC, and you're seeing them kind of round into shape where guys, uh, you know, they're targeting, you know, coming back, uh, you know, by the end of last week, and uh, that's that's kind of the way it went. You could see that Saturday at practice, they were already looking to to Sunday scrimmage, and they were already looking to, you know, we're going to have most of these guys ready to go. So, uh, exactly right. I think uh, they've been uh, been pretty fortunate. And Lane said, after you know, we had a big, you know, real physical scrimmage. And looks like we came out of it all right. So uh, uh, we'll see. You know, we'll see. Obviously, today is the day they really take a look at you know anything that happened, and we'll we'll know more tomorrow. But even tomorrow, you've got you know well over a week and a half uh, to you know to get back for the Minnesota game. And I mean, you like the way that schedule starts out with three three home games makes it easier to, you know, take care of guys and that and, and treatment and medical stuff and all that. Than the fact that if you're on the road for a few days, like, you know, if you're opening at Hawaii, it takes a few days away from rehabbing and and, and getting ready because you're, you're traveling and, and getting ready for a road game. So that works, I think, to their benefit, having those uh, first three games at home.
1: I think it does too. Uh, well, Oh one last thing I think we've got to get into some of this Miami stuff, but I know it's it's a fiery topic but uh, some I know someone posted on the peristyle I wasn't I didn't get to look at the thread about Robert Woods and changing his shoes. He looked really good yesterday did he end up changing his shoes? Do you know what happened well he
3: he hadn't he hadn't gotten his uh, uh, orthotics as of Saturday, but he hadn't tried. I don't know that he's going to actually change his shoes what he's going to do is he's, he's gotten mm-hmm. where they put your feet in casts and they measure and what they're trying to do is to get to level your feet out. His he's got a and his right ankle it turns on the inside. So then he when he's running and cutting like he does, he tends to put extra pressure. He tends to pound on the inside of his right ankle. And so what the orthotics do is they uh they get these these casts of your feet and then they measure uh where they need to put support uh uh, in your shoes basically so that you end up uh, landing uh, level and not uh, turning your ankle over so uh, i don't know I, I didn't get to ask him i didn't think about that afterwards whether he had those on sunday or not but uh, he's going to have them uh, but i think i think he's actually going to keep the shoes but he's going to wear the orthotics inside the shoes uh, is the way uh, the way i understand it because he just what he, what he does is he kind of runs on the inside of his right ankle and uh, and that just uh, that's where the pain and the stiffness comes so it's not a classic ankle sprain it's it's basically just a, a kind of an overuse from and I guess the word technically is uh, he over that ankle or turns it in too much and when you run it as hard as he is and the thing he does so well and you watch him uh, is he's got such great Foot control. I mean, his foot balance and his ability to take real quick little steps under total control is is the way he runs away from people. When he, uh, I mean, he made a couple of cuts yesterday that you thought, you know, is there anybody in the NFL running any better cuts? I mean, it's just he does them so naturally, smoothly, under control. Doesn't give them away. That's. I think the other thing is. You just you don't know which way he's going, even if you're one of his you know teammates that sees him do it in practice and, uh, and then he obviously catches the ball and, uh, then, and and Matt, for some reason now, this second year together, and you hear Matt talking about it, but you saw it yesterday, uh, a couple of times they made adjustments in the route and ran something other than what they were supposed to run just based on how the uh, defender was playing Robert. And on both of them, you know, Matt threw the ball exactly where he thought Robert was going to go, and Robert went exactly where he thought Matt was going to throw the ball. And that's (laughs) the kind of thing you like to see. That's the kind of, you know, that's the benefit of having these guys together for a couple of years. And uh, it certainly changed kind of, I just thought Matt's whole approach to the game yesterday was different, knowing that Robert was there.
1: That's a that's great great news for USC fans if that, they can hook up like that and being on the same wavelength like that. Um, well, we, we don't want to spend too much time on this, but we do have a lot of Miami questions. Here's the first one. It's a, uh, a voicemail question we got. Listen to this one.
4: Hi, this is Dan from West Covina. Uh, my question is to either Harvey or Dan. Um, I was wondering, does USC have any opportunity to kind of uh, you know uh, go after? Paul D. or the NCAA, or or at least get like a second appeal going since uh, Paul D. clearly wasn't a credible um, commissioner uh, to kind of lead um, the, the NCAA, given that his, you know, checkered past, it seems that like his ruling should be in question. And, uh, you know, you got to almost think about as far as like the timeline goes, when Miami had a pretty big string, they were kind of like the center Attention of the uh, NCAA or uh, you know college football, and then USC kind of you know took it from there, kind of almost essentially stole the spotlight. I, I can't help but think, but this was like a personal attack by Paul D. Um, it's just hard for me to just kind of take in that all these uh, penalties that were handed to USC were pretty much from the same person who now, as we see uh, the new surfaced information. Um, is kind of running Miami into the ground. Um, does UOC have any kind of uh, fighting chance, or can they capitalize off of these new findings? Um, thank you very much, and have a nice day.
3: Uh, uh, Dan, I, I think there's certainly, from what we can tell, investigating that opportunity, that possibility – Uh, I would like to see the PAC-12 get involved very strongly. I would like to see Larry Scott get involved very publicly and very strongly. I would like to see USC almost deputize Larry Scott to speak for USC. I'm not sure this is a situation where uh, public relations-wise it's best for USC to be out front all the way on this, but uh, clearly... Listening to the hour-long press conference that Larry, uh, that uh, Paul D conducted after uh, uh, the USC penalties were were given out, it was the first thing anyone thought, and we had no idea what was uh, what, what all was involved. The first thing I thought was, "That sounds personal." He kept comparing USC to Miami. He kept putting, I mean, USC doesn't even wasn't even close to the same kind of Situation as the previous Miami uh, reign of uh, you know lawlessness uh, at the NCAA when Paul D was was uh, athletic director. Had anybody known that what was going on at Miami now was going on when Paul D was saying this? It's unbelievable that he can have the nerve to sit there and self-righteously uh, put USC down for what they quote should have known about Reggie Bush who had nothing to do with anybody at USC who had nothing to do with anything making his life better as a USC player all the, whatever was going to happen for Reggie Bush was all to try to get Reggie Bush to leave USC. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, and it was one player, not 72. And it was over a period of eight years, uh, at Miami. So, uh, clearly if I, I mean, it's, typical of a bureaucratic disaster that the NCA is now, that they knew about this two months before rege- allowing USC's appeal to be rejected. Obviously, the USC case in any other world of judicial hearings and uh, enforcement penalties and all that would have been immediately stopped at that point. And they would have informed USC, which they didn't, and they would have said, there are some real problems with your case right now. Uh, the person involved you know and we're we're not going to have a ruling, and we're going to see you know we're going to stay all the penalties you don't even have to do this we're going to probably bring in uh an independent uh maybe a federal uh, retired federal uh you know group of federal judges or something like that, but we're not going to uh hold you to these uh that you know all sanctions are stopped at this point in time, and they may may be forever but this is uh You know, this is not, uh, we're not proceeding with anything that Paul D. uh, was involved in, especially the one case that just jumps off the board as being totally inappropriate in terms of the way uh, a school was penalized, and that's the USC case. Of course, the NCAA didn't do that, because that's not what they do. They're hoping people don't notice. They're hoping nobody paid any attention. They're hoping nobody says anything about it. USC can't allow that to happen. But I wish right now that uh, while USC is clearly investigating its legal options, and there are some, clearly, uh, I think uh, uh, Larry Scott and, Pac-12 and the Pac-12, which means the other 11 schools in the Pac-12, should be standing behind USC and be willing to take it, if they need to, to the Legislative Assembly of the NCA and make people vote on it make them vote, you know, take it to a place because technically the appeals process is over and there is nowhere else to appeal it and I think they have to discover a different way to appeal it and I think they've got to give the NCAA a choice there are, you know, a couple of ways to address this and one of them wouldn't be very pleasant to anybody if they have to go there and now USC has all the reason in the world I think they guaranteed it originally and probably foolishly not to go to court I think The thought now that we may be forced to go to court and you didn't tell us what was going on and we trusted you, NCAA, and look what happened to us, Uh, we aren't going to let that happen again. Uh, Therefore, you have a couple of choices here to make and we think you're going to do the right thing, but you better. Uh, That would be... That would be kind of how I would go with it, but, but I guess we'll see. The one thing that's happening now and I read an interview with our, another favorite of ours, Josephine Petuto of Nebraska, uh, who was also on that committee on infraction, was uh, interviewed uh, on their adjoining the big 12 excuse me, the Big Ten and she said, uh, how pleased she was that she's been dismissed from one lawsuit, but she's still being sued on, in another case. But let people know this, that the first successful lawsuit personally against a member of the Committee on Infractions after something like eight or nine years in federal court is now going forward. And, of course, that man was on the USC appeals panel, why he would be still allowed to be on the appeals panel while he was being sued personally for another case where they basically framed a a, a Buffalo basketball coach who – who found out about it and got students to lie and what have you. Uh, now, uh, I think, is the time where they must be considering, can you go after members of the Committee on Infractions personally, and should you? And uh, I know in the Todd McNair case, you know, if I were you were thinking, if you're Todd McNair's lawyers, for example, they uh, – Left it open to as to whether they would add other people to the lawsuit, and they at first chose not to sue anyone personally. this Paul D development, you would think would make them possibly I'm not a lawyer, have no idea you know exactly all the details and how California law plays in, but you would think that they would be thinking about adding mr. Paul D uh, to their lawsuit uh, personally, uh, which would be If that happens, let me tell you this: Mark it on your calendar. If there is a day in Los Angeles Superior Court when the trial, in this case, comes to trial, the the Todd McNair case, and Paul D is on the stands, you might want to be there. That may be one of the more interesting, (laughs) interesting days in uh, Los Angeles legal history, uh, if Paul D uh, makes it to the stand in the Todd McNair case.
1: That would be uh, something I think a lot of people would love to see. And uh,
3: thanks for we, that we one. Would, we'd, we'd probably have, try to see if we could stream that one, I think. Uh, that would uh, be
1: great. We <laughs> could do our show, uscfootball.com TV, live from Superior Court. Um, well, we had uh, Scott Craig from Connecticut had a similar question, as did David and Andy. Thank you guys for writing those in. Hopefully Dan answered that. Um, Donald had a little bit different take, Donald in Florida. He says, as a Trojan in SEC country, it's the only real way to get USC news on the podcast, so thank you very much. Um, He's kind of upset about the championship game, the Pac-12 championship game, that USC won't be able to play in it. It says the sanctions sanctions say that USC can't play in a bowl game. Why is it that the championship game is considered a bowl game?
3: Okay, the question that we're asking ourselves is, and uh, we've been asking people at USC, is the... Pac-12 championship game an extension of the regular season, or is it a postseason game? Our interpretation is that it's a, an extension of the regular season. It's the, 13, it's, it's the game that uh, conferences with 12 members are allow, allowed to play. Our understanding is, is that's a Pac-12 rule, that because the winner can't go on to play in the BCS, can't play in a bowl game, that the Pac-12 does not anybody playing in that game who's not eligible to play in the next game. And that, you know, one of the comments someone made to us was that that would be embarrassing for the Pac-12 to have uh, a team in that game win that game like a USC this year, but they couldn't go on and you'd have to send the second team. Our question is, well, what if the other team then because USC isn't available, mathematically, um, I think John Willard, San Jose, figured this out. You can have a 5-7 and seven Arizona State team who barely edged out two or three others in the Pac-12 South playing in that championship game against Oregon or Stanford. I said, wouldn't that be, like, really embarrassing, that nationally televised first ever Pac-12 championship game, and you've got a bad under 500 team as the other team?" And the response was, yes, that would be embarrassing as well. So, I'm thinking in this case, if I were the Pac-12, I would say in light now of the Paul D. situation, in light of the comparisons between the USC case and all the other cases that seem to be getting slaps on the wrist, we're going to stand behind USC. And we're going to put USC in our championship game. If they win, so what? That, you know, they deserve to be there. We want it. We want to have our first season as the PAC 12, all 12 teams. We're going to show some unity here and we're going to, you know, if we have to take a hit after that game, we're going to take a hit after that game, but we're not going to uh, let Paul D determine that USC can't be in the PAC 12 championship game. Uh, This, there may be more about this. I think uh, this is the other area where I think Larry Scott has to step in and show some leadership and say we're going to do what's right. We're going to do what's right for the conference and what's right for USC. And it's going to be a 12-team conference this year, and USC is going to be part of it. And if it means we got to change the rules for this year, we're going to change the rules for this year. So I solved that one. Okay.
1: I like it, Dan. <laughs> you your <laughs> And they got to do
3: it. They, the problem is they have to do it before September 10th. And USC plays Utah. So, uh, I think, actually, I, I I thought it might have a shot, but what would it take? Probably a fairly aggressive and really well-handled push from USC. Do I think that will happen? Mm, maybe <laughs> not so much.
1: Maybe not. All right.
3: I, I might push it, but I'm not sure, you know. I'm not sure USC would. And I think they should. I really do. I think those players deserve it. You know, I mean, that's that's another question we have. How hard would Ohio State have pushed it to get Terrell Pryor? And, oh, wait, they did. How hard would, uh, in the Big Ten, how hard would uh, Auburn and the uh, SEC have pushed to get Cam Newton into a game? Oh, wait, they did. Wait a minute, those guys, had issues. These USC kids now actually have no issues whatsoever. They were in the 4th, 5th, and 6th grades when whatever happened happened. So, doesn't USC owe it to Matt Barkley and Robert Woods and these guys to push just as hard as Auburn and the SEC and Ohio State and the Big Ten push to get Cam Newton and Terrell Pryor in their game? I think so. I don't think that's a hard question to answer. No.
1: Well, great stuff, Dan. We appreciate it. And uh, if you want to check out Dan's full rant from the war room on Friday, go to uscfootball.com on this Miami situation. It's some great stuff in the war room. Check it out. But, Dan, we appreciate it. And uh, we got a, we got a day off, even though we're doing the podcast, but a day off from practice. Practice starts up again tomorrow. we got the early morning practices now from here on out, so it's going to be a little bit more of a routine.
3: And we get to talk. We're not sure. We get to talk to all of them, but we start to get to talk to the freshmen. Yeah. Uh, so that's the excitement uh, for tomorrow. We we watched these kids for weeks and haven't been able to talk to them. So and uh, and there are more stories there than I think we thought there were going to be stories. Uh, so uh, so that's uh, that's something to look forward to uh, tomorrow early.
1: All right, Dan. Well,
3: okay. <laughs> thanks.
1: Thanks again, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle podcast. Really glad that you're listening and sending in your questions. Keep sending them in, and we'll keep talking about the USC Trojans for you.
0: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on PeristylePodcast.com, or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.